0: Most of the doctors that I've met, they've been very egotistic and aloof. He was so sweet, like so sweet. He made me feel like I had all the time in the world. I told him about the pelvic floor therapy that I had done in the past. I said, should I do that? And he said, this is not gonna fix it. This is not a muscular thing. There's something needs to be repaired. The only thing is, is if we do the surgery, if you do have another birth it will rip it out what we do and then there's like less than a 30 percent chance that if you try to sew it again that it's going to hold he's like i know it's uncomfortable but come to you when you're finished having kids and we'll fix it and i was 28 years old and i'm like i'm not waiting 10 years like this is crazy
1: giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life sadly the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics being jewish also has me exploring judaism's influence on the reproductive experience however i speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence i'm your host chani fingerer and you're listening to the happy birthday podcast welcome to episode 71 of the happy Birthway podcast i'm really excited to bring to you in this episode chami's Really interesting stories about her three births in two different countries, and she talks about her pelvic floor reconstructive surgery, which is really interesting. Before I start the episode, I wanted to let you know that next week on May 3rd, that's Wednesday, I will be speaking as a panelist at the annual conference of the Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association. The conference is going to be taking place in New York City on Wednesday, May 3rd lots of interesting topics besides for a panel which is going to include a wide spectrum of different nursing specialties they're going to talk about informal milk sharing in the orthodox jewish community and mental health in halacha and of course there's going to be kosher food so especially for those of us that do not live in a highly populated orthodox jewish area that's really fun and it's always a treat. They are also approved for five and a half continuing education credits. So you can multitask, you can go have fun, you can go network, listen to lots of interesting things and get your continuing ed credits. You can register either by going into the link in the show notes for this episode or check them out on Instagram, OJNA. They have a link in their bio. And if you are a listener and you go to the conference, please come over and say hi. I love greeting and meeting all of my podcast listeners because I don't really get to interact with you. By the way, actually, on that note, I just remembered that now Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, and even if you don't listen on Spotify, maybe check it out. This is like a total free plug for Spotify here. They actually now have this new feature. It's a QA and a feature. So you can put in your comments. You can put in your questions. They are entered in privately. So if you want me to keep them private, I will. But if you want me to publish them publicly, I will as well. And you can do this for every single episode. So I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to something on Spotify, one of my episodes, if either you have a question about the content that was mentioned in the episode, or you just want to say, hey, I love your Podcast, which I will always take those compliments, then please go ahead and do so. It would be lovely to hear from you. You can also call my number to leave a voicemail with any of your questions. We haven't uh, done that in a while. And that number is 203-759-8639, 203-759-8639. If you leave me a voicemail, then I will put it on an episode. So if you wanted to remain anonymous, you can just say your first name or no name, it's so wonderful when I hear voices of people that are actually listening to the podcast. It's just weird sometimes because I'm just talking to my mic and like, I don't know what all of you are thinking on the other end. So please give me the feedback. You can also email me, Hani at com. That's C-H-A-N-I-E at com. And without further ado, enjoy Khami's story. Welcome to the Happy Birthday Podcast, Kami Gross. Before Kami introduces herself, I need to tell you, audience, how, first of all, I'm very grateful to you, Kami, for your persistence, because this is the second time we're recording Kami's story. We spent almost an entire hour talking about this, and it got lost. Um, Sadly, a lot of times we have to be very patient with technical equipment and programs and all that stuff, so... Thank you so much, Khami, for your persistence and for coming on again to tell us your amazing story because it's definitely very worthwhile story to tell and very worth you have so much worthwhile information to put out there for the listeners here. So can you please introduce yourself because you do something that I find to be very cool, and also I realized that you have a podcast that I didn't realize last time. So I guess it's meant to be in that sense too, because these are podcast listeners you're talking to. So maybe they'll be interested in your podcast set as well. My name is Hami Gross. I actually live in Israel. I'm here. August will be three
0: years. We met Aliyah during COVID. I am a dog trainer. I have three kids and three dogs. Um, I started a podcast a little while ago. It's called "Stop Being Stupid." Um, it is not for the faint of heart. It is what I call unapologetically offensive to probably most people, but people seem to love it. So I'm doing it. It's all because <laughs> you're, all you're saying the
1: truth. You're saying the truth.
0: And people, yeah, it's hard to hear, but also people like fight, like find it, you know, entertaining because you know most people
1: are politically correct, and
0: I'm not in any way.
1: <laughs> all right. So for everyone who <laughs> wants to listen to an unpolitically correct podcast go listen to Stop Being Stupid. All right. So let's dive in, Khami, onto your journey, which is fascinating.
0: When I was listening to your podcast, so many topics from so many different podcasts applied to me, um, either being like, you know, giving birth in Israel versus America. I had pelvic floor therapy i had pelvic floor surgery and a lot of the information that i learned along the way i am really really i'm gonna say obsessed or i was more obsessed with working out and through my pregnancies and how that had its pluses and minuses and and yeah just all the topics all around
1: and i have to say we share a we we share a love for birth and we also share a love for dogs. Yes. <laughs> and I love the work you do. I absolutely love watching your stories and your videos of oh, how you train dogs. It is so cool, it is so entertaining and it's amazing.
0: Thank you. You know what's interesting, I'll just say this, that when I'm in, when I'm in people's houses, right, um, and I'm training dogs, I get to see how they are with their babies sometimes. And there have been times more than I would say a few times that I've actually helped people with nursing their babies and sleep training their babies. And I've even helped people sleep train their babies like remotely by using techniques I use for crate training. I am not joking.
1: And it worked. No, it makes sense. So you throw candy into the crib. No, I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, it's, people always say like, you know, like you, you, when you have kids, it it it, sh- it it brings out all of your character defects. I guess you can say your character flaws, right? Like it's a, your kids are your mirror, and it's the same thing with dogs, right? Like you, if you're not in a calm, collective mood, your dog is not gonna listen to you. So when you're when you're you know raising children, it, sh- it shows you everything about you. You know, like if you're not patient and you're not consistent and you're not good at setting boundaries, and it's the same thing with dogs. So it's it's all one big picture it's it will it's the same theme basically that follows you through your whole life with humans and dogs
1: also they often say it's not training the baby or the dog it's training the parent or the owner of course
0: yeah i always say i don't train dogs i train humans i don't train dogs it's you know dogs never the problem and i mean i'm not gonna say about (laughs) kids because that's not a fair statement about kids because a lot of times the kids are an issue and dogs are much simpler but (laughs) they definitely
1: are. It's not like having another kid. Whoever says that is lying has never had kids or I don't know, (laughs) has never had a dog. All right. So let's get back to starting with your first birth. Okay.
0: So we were living in Israel. We got married, moved to Israel and I got pregnant Pretty much right away um i actually get very very sick in my pregnancies like till 20 weeks i like walk around with bags and i cannot stop vomiting and here in israel they weren't giving out zofran nothing they they did not do any of that kind of stuff um it's a much tougher culture here like they're not into coddling you and they're like just get over it and i remember like getting off buses in random neighborhoods, not where I needed to go, because I was too embarrassed to throw up on the bus. And then I would finish throwing up, and I would find the next bus to take me where I had to go. Like this was my life; it was totally insane. But um, anyway, so through my whole pregnancy, I saw just a doctor at a Coupa here, and a coupon for anyone who doesn't know is just the the health clinic. Oh, the health clinic, right? There's a few different like brands, I guess you can go to, and it's it's like just typical socialized medicine type of stuff. Um, and through the whole pregnancy doc, not one doc, no one touched me. Like they just said, okay, your weight looks good. Your blood pressure looks good. Like you're good to go. And, um, when I was, well, let me first say that like through my pregnancies, all of them, but also this one, I like exercise, like crazy. Like I'm very, very body obsessed and like, didn't want to gain more than 19 pounds, 20 pounds. And, you know, was like, I need to keep, I uh, keep as, you know, trim and fit as possible. So the minute baby's born, I can feel like myself again. Um, which in hindsight is a really, really messed up way of thinking. Um, but the exercise part does keep you strong and healthy.
1: Right. I think it's just a different mindset. I think that staying fit is so important and having being active is so important and it's really important for how the pregnancy goes and it could contribute to an easier birth and to an easier postpartum recovery no doubt I just think it's the mindset of obsessing because like what a burden is that to obsess over everything you do and if you skip a day of exercise and if you you know don't eat exactly how you're planning on eating that's like what a burden versus looking from looking at it as a place of self-love and doing the these things, engaging in them because they make you happy because you know that they're going to be good for you. Right, right, 100%. Totally. Um, and yeah, and it's also
0: like it's now in my life, like the way I work out now, I do CrossFit and I don't own a scale. And I literally have no idea how much I weigh, and I am not obsessed with like sizes or anything like that. I'm all about feeling strong and healthy and appreciating my body, what it can do for me. And I think that's the same thing as pregnancy. It's like your body is creating a human. It's doing something amazing. Like, you know, we have to like appreciate that and embrace that, keep it strong, keep it healthy to deliver this baby and to feel strong after, but not because in my head, I'm like, well, I can't gain more than this number and I'm not gonna fit into my clothing after and all that. It was definitely an unhealthy, like mindset for sure. Um. Anyway, so the my, on my due date, I, well, I think I probably went for like a run in the morning and I came home and I did not feel any movement any fetal movement at all. And I did all the things that you're supposed to do. I laid on my side. And it wasn't like I have a doctor you can call. It's not that kind of thing. I mean, now it might be different, but you couldn't just call your doctor as on call and they say, you know, come in. So I walked down to the Coupa and I came in and I said, it's been a bunch of hours and I haven't felt any fetal movement. Can you just put the dots on just make sure that this baby's still alive? And they're like, no, we're not gonna do that here because if your baby's dead, we don't wanna be the one to tell you. Wow. And I'm 22 years old, and I'm like standing there crying, and I can't really communicate with them. And my husband wasn't there, and I called him, and he came. And my father in law drove us to the hospital. Now we lived in Beit Shemesh, so we had to drive all the way to Shari Tzedek. and he was so you basically
1: went there for them to tell you to go to the hospital because you couldn't, you didn't have anyone to call. Yeah. yeah. They just
0: like, we're like, we're not helping you. Like, they're just, no, we can't help you. So, We go to the hospital and thank god they were really really nice there right away they put a doppler on and they're like there's a beautiful heartbeat everything's fine um you know it happens sometimes when you're getting closer to birth the baby rests um and uh, before you go home we just want you to get an ultrasound and be checked by a doctor just to make sure
1: even if sometimes a baby does slow down closer to birth or during labor anybody no matter how far along you are in your pregnancy after you've started feeling your baby move. If you are feeling less movement, don't take it as, oh, okay, my baby's slowing down because I'm 40 weeks pregnant. Take it seriously. Uh, Decreased fetal movement is the number one symptom of a baby that's in distress. So always take it seriously. Always get checked out and Most of the time, the patients that come in for decreased fetal movement, they have a beautiful baby's heart rate and they are reassured. But sometimes we've had cases where that was not the case and the patient came in in very good timing and we were able to intervene before something really terrible happened to their baby. So that's important for everybody to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because after I recorded with you, I was sitting with my neighbor on Chavez and she says she was just at the park. And this random woman was telling her that she was, um, I think she was pregnant, but instead of her last pregnancy, she was like, I don't know, seven and a half or eight months pregnant. And one day she just stopped feeling the baby move. And obviously, no one here gets really alarmed. Like, you know, whatever. So she's like, she just decided, she's like, I need to go straight to the hospital. And everyone thought she was crazy because they're like, you've had kids before. Like, I'm sure everything's fine. She went to the hospital. They checked her. They said the baby, the baby's cord was wrapped around the neck like four times or something. The baby couldn't move because it was like strangling. And they did an emergency C-section. The doctor said even an hour later, the baby would have been dead and she wouldn't have known. But she was like, something is not right. She's like, you know, and everyone told her you're crazy, you're overreacting, you know, and she's like, I'm telling you something's
1: not right. And it was funny, because I was like, Oh, my God, we we're just talking about this. Um, yeah. And yeah. if I want anyone to take anything away from this entire podcast, all the episodes, it's that listen to your gut, and seek out care if you feel like something's not right, even if you cannot describe exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, okay, so
0: we've to the ultrasound, and we went to the ultrasound, the technician said, um, do you feel that you're having a contraction now i said no she's like you're having really strong contractions like every few minutes i said no i don't feel anything like literally nothing um she's like you're like pretty much in active labor she's like so much so that on the ultrasound like the baby's head is already descending into your birth canal like like you're like very much in labor and like okay well i don't feel anything which is also a little bit alarming to not feel contractions, even though it was nice not to feel pain, but like, you know, it's like, it's the body's way of saying, Hey, get to the hospital. Something's happening. Um, and then before I left, the doctor wanted to check me out and he was South African. So he was, I was able to communicate with him. And while he was checking me, like he literally like barely did anything. And my water popped all over him in on his white coat and, it, and they were like, Oh my God, it has meconium in it. And they all like went crazy and they're like, we need to get you back into a room right now. We need to get you on Pitocin. We need to get this baby out right away. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I I, like know what, I heard about meconium bite and they're like why they were so alarmed. So I went back to the room and they put me on Pitocin without explaining to me, like what the Pitocin is gonna feel like. And without saying, hey, do you want an epidural with this? I said to them I need an epidural and they're like, Okay, but the the anesthesiologist is in surgery now. And I'm like, oh my God. Like the pitocin contractions were like literally I wanted to like kill myself. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't even they let me stand up, thank God. Um, and I was like rocking back and forth. And I had no skills because I didn't do any birthing classes. I was planning on getting an epidural and just pushing the baby out like I didn't have like any way I didn't know how to breathe I didn't know how to do anything thank god the anesthesiologist came like I guess soon enough I can't really remember because it was like the whole thing was like so intense um and then they had a change of shifts and the midwife who's going to be there for my delivery came in and she was like this old woman from like Maya Charms. she delivered like thousands of babies like actually and she was so 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 sweet I felt like, I really felt like a Bubby was taking care of me. Like, it felt like that. She was so sweet. She was, like, saying to Helen, and she was massaging, like, oil to, to, you know, make sure I, to try, you know, to make sure that I didn't rip when I delivered, and she turned off the lights in the room, and she's like, "We'll come check on you soon. No one came in to check me constantly. No nurses, nothing. No noise. Just, like it was just like super chilled. And then when she came in to deliver the baby, she turned on just one little tiny light over the bed. She's like, if I said, can we keep the lights off? I like the vibe in here. And she's like, yeah, actually the babies actually like it better. They like it. They're much calmer when they come out when there's like not a million bright lights in their face. Like when the room is calm and the room is like darker, they usually are much like, you know,
1: Yeah, because they're used to a dark environment. They've been in a dark environment all this time. So bright lights are startling. And I just want to backtrack to a few things you said, Mm -hmm. um, because listeners might have questions. Firstly, when your water broke and you saw meconium in the fluid, sometimes meconium can be, not always, but sometimes meconium can be an indicator of some form of fetal distress. And uh, this was a while ago when you gave birth. So the the things that may have been done then um, may have been different. And... They still may be done now, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the standard of care and the best way. But you know, nobody can know everything. Um, so when they started pitocin, it's not just so people know having meconium in the fluid is not necessarily a reason in and of itself to start pitocin, especially if the meconium is an indicator for fetal distress. We shouldn't be starting Pitocin on a baby that is already stressed out because giving the baby contractions are going to further stress out the baby. And everybody can go back and listen to my episode all about Pitocin. I believe it's episode 59. Um, And secondly, in Israel, the care system is a little bit different where midwives, they are not the same midwives that we have here in the United States. So the way it works is, and this happens, this, this is something that is in a lot of countries, it's in the UK and in other places as well. Midwives are basically function in the capacity of what a labor and delivery nurse does. And, but the additional piece is that they are qualified to attend straightforward births. Obviously, if there's any forceps or vacuum that's needed, if there's a severe laceration, if a patient needs a C-section, if there's suspicion for something like a shoulder dystocia that will complicate a birth, then doctors will attend alongside the midwives. But otherwise, it's usually just one midwife that'll care for you throughout the entire labor process and be that one for the board. So it's just interesting to note how the different countries have different care systems.
0: Yeah, it's it's much less staff. It's just like, it, it's just not a lot of people coming in and out of the room. It's very interesting. Um, yeah. So when it came time to deliver, Um, when she, she checked me, like she didn't check me constantly and she's like, you're 10. And I'm like, okay, does that mean I should push? And she's like, no, you just let me know. And she just like sat there and she's like, you just let me know when you feel it. And I'm like, it's my first birth. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for. And she's like, you'll feel it. You'll feel pressure. I I don't. I don't remember, the epidural that they gave me compared to the one that I had in the States, w- wasn't like as high. I don't know if that's a thing for it to not yeah, be as strong. Yeah, it is, a thing. It is okay. a thing.
1: Yeah. There are lighter epidurals and then there are epidurals that we call more dense and different hospitals have different compositions of the medication that goes through the epidural that results in how densely you feel, um, the, you know, how, how dense and how numb you are. And as time is evolving, we've gotten a better kind of recipe to enable the sharp pain of the contractions to go away with the epidural, but then still feel the dull rectal pressure. And some people may even feel like dull pressure with contractions in their abdomen, um, but it doesn't bother them. It's not painful. So there's, you know, there's, there's a recipe that every hospital has differently. And then also the medication is actually administered in different rates so a higher rate is naturally going to result in a more dense epidural so yes you're 100 percent correct about that
0: yeah i didn't even think about it till just now it's like wait a second i was able to feel it um and then i told her that i could that i felt and she said okay so i so pushed and i pushed like three times over 15 minutes she did not want me pushing constantly she was like take your time the baby's fine she was lots of oil and she came out and there were no tears and no stitches. Um, and that part of the delivery was amazing and beautiful. Then they basically tell you, which obviously I, now I see why they can't have a strong epidural because they're like, okay, so get up and walk to the wheelchair, which in America they're like, you know, hang out for a little while till you can feel your legs. And here they're like, okay, you're done. Get up, we need room for someone else. And they brought me to my recovery room. And there were like six, I think, other women in the room with me, five or six other women in the room with me, which was like little curtains, like separating, but it's a small room. It's like probably the size of like an American recovery room with like six beds just pushed in there like Tetris and with curtains and one bathroom for all of us to share that's cleaned like once a day. And they just drop you off there. And no one gave me like medication no one checked my bleeding no one checked my temperature nothing and when and then at night that you can't have baby in your room if you want to because there's no room for the baby in there they come in and they yell in the middle of the night like you know your name to come to to feed your baby and i walk into the nursery and i'm like okay and they're like go find your baby no, like, can I scan your bracelet? Can I check the baby's bracelet? Like, I could have taken anyone's baby. Like, like there was no, it was like so relaxed. Um, and they're like, oh, and there's diapers there, so change her. Like, I, that was my job. Like, literally, you know, 10 hours after giving birth, like I had to stand there, and I, mean, I it was
1: my first child. And- No one's and then, teaching you how to change the diapers. It's just like, here's the diaper arm, here, figure it out.
0: Figure it out, yeah, like, yeah. And then- they're like and you go to nurse the baby there. So there's like a room, and it looks like a doctor's office, like waiting room, and there's chairs in around in a circle, and everyone just sits down in a chair, a regular chair, not like a comfy like recliner. Like I'm talking like a chair you would find in a doctor's office. And they're like, go feed your baby, and like there's no like lactation consultant there, and everyone's like nursing in their sleep because they had like ten kids, and you know I had no idea what I was doing. It was a disaster the next morning my husband came and i'm like i am not staying another night you have to take me home and they make you want to not stay (laughs) probably probably and then in in the morning they like they ring a bell for breakfast like it's like like a school bell and you go to a cafeteria and you sit on these like wooden benches with a bunch of other women in their robes and you have You know food and then lunch is like schnitzel and farfall and you have to get your own food and sit down like 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 it's just it was like so it was something out of like like i don't know like a twilight zone because i'm like i didn't get birth in america but i lived there my whole life and i'm like this is like just doesn't seem right like you know and like for yourself Yeah, I'm like, this is crazy. And the thing is, though, that if you are Israeli, you are much tougher. And most people have, you know, helped raise their own siblings. And it's just it's not, I think they're just not into the same luxuries that we're used to I, I don't think they I are I wonder
1: if it's changed though since that time I don't know it seems Probably. so like it has to I
0: mean it's, it's it's almost 13 years I'm sure it has and I know that in different hospitals it's different like right. there are some new hospitals that are amazing um, right. yeah I mean they just yeah, have, that, like, they're just yeah but that's that's hard yeah it was, it was totally crazy so then my husband like he he like was there in the morning and he's like I'm gonna come back later and he came back and I'm like I'm going home so I said I'm going home but okay sign this waiver and i'm like okay and they're like okay bye and no one like checked the car seat no one checked to see if i had fever or bleeding. nothing like nothing of that was going on okay i go home and thank God my mom came from america but i had a hard time nursing her and i had a lot like i kept getting breast infections but the first one i had i didn't realize i had it and i ended up with like super high fever and I ended up back in the hospital and they first, I didn't tell you this last time, the, they're like, maybe it's a uterine infection. I'm like, I am telling you, it's a breast infection. And this really tough Israeli woman gave me an internal exam, 24 hours, 48 hours postpartum. And I was crying. And she's like, stop crying. You're being such a baby. So she tells me, and I was like, I'm like, you're hurting me. This is not, you're not supposed to touch it. I'm like, you know, and, and, um, And she's like, okay, it's not a uterine infection. And I'm like, I'm telling you it was a breast infection. They could not, like, for some reason, they couldn't figure out. They took my blood. And they're like, you have so much, such a high level of infection in your body. We don't even know how you're standing. I'm like, okay, so forget where it's from. I knew it was a breast infection. Let's treat it. (laughs) Just give me antibiotics. And i like, you wait forever in these hospitals. You literally sit in the hallway forever. And finally, they gave me, like, an IV of it. And as soon as it was done, I just walked out of the hospital. I'm like, I need to go home and go to sleep. Um. Mm yeah, it was crazy. It was totally, totally crazy. Um, happens to be like 10 days after that I was back in a different hospital because I lost all my peripheral vision and they thought maybe it was like a blood clot from pushing, even though I'm like, I really didn't push that hard. And they kept me in the hospital for like overnight because the, the, I guess, I don't know which, maybe the neurologist or whatever was like sleeping or not there. And, I had my baby with me, but they also couldn't give me a breast pump because it was the emergency room. And they're like, we can't get you a breast pump in the emergency room because you're not part of this unit. I said, not part of like, you know, like postpartum, like, can you get me one? They're like, no. So I'm like 10 days after birth with no breast pump for like 14 hours. And I was like dying and in the morning thank god my husband was able to go literally to like yad sara across the street to rent one for me and because i was like literally i'm like i literally up to like my neck i was like i'm like oh my god this oh is like my the most gosh. painful thing and they're just like no i'm sorry we can't help you and i'm like can i go home they're like no you can't leave ended up being it was exhaustion i was so tired that i just lost my peripheral vision apparently that's a thing that you're just yeah it was just really not fun um but yeah, so that was my Israel birth story. So the delivery part was beautiful and amazing. And the other stuff was like like something out of like, you know, I don't know, like 1800s. Yeah. Like it was crazy, it was totally crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, so then when I was 36 weeks pregnant with my son, we're still living in Israel and I'm like, I'm going home. Um, I can't have another baby here I want to move back I want to be near my mother. I'm like, I can't do this. So we literally got on the plane and went home and I moved to Baltimore and think God Hospital hospitals there and they're great um, and his delivery was was great it was just great and it was easy and I Like it was just like the environment was like so luxurious. But when it came to delivery time, and I also forgot this last time, um, the OBGYN came in with a bunch of students and they only walk in the minute the nurse is like, oh, she's 10. And then the doctor shows up and she walks in with a bunch of students and she's like, "Do, do you care if one of these students delivers you? And I'm like, I I don't know. Just someone catch this baby. Like, just I don't care. Just get it out of me. And I had a student, like, deliver my baby. And looking back, I, like, didn't feel like I was really given the option to say no. It was almost like she asked me as, like, a courtesy. But, like, I felt totally pressured. They were all standing there. It was, like, a whole class of them. And I remember feeling, like, I think, like, in the moment, you're, like, not, like, is this, like, a real question? Am I allowed to say no? Is it going to
1: insult them? Like, I don't i didn't it wasn't like a thought process but um, no and you're a hundred percent correct and this is something that i hear from many people where when you're asking them as just like a last minute you know courtesy where everybody is right there and you feel uncomfortable saying no i drill this into the people that talk that take my self-advocacy and birth class where Really, the standard of care is is for medical students, residents, whoever it is, to introduce themselves to you beforehand, like not just slip right in at the last moment into such an intimate time in your life um, and you know, perform whatever it is, unless it's an emergency and the extra hands right. that are needed, obviously. But really, the proper thing to do is if that medical student resident, whoever it was, there's a difference between the two. But whoever it was, they should have really introduced themselves to you hours before you had an epidural, you were comfortable. And they should have said, This is my name. I'm the resident. I'm gonna be involved in your care. I'm gonna be supervised by your doctor, etc., etc. To kind of give you some time to think about it. And the reality is, is when you're giving birth in a teaching hospital, there are many benefits to giving birth in a teaching hospital, but there are also going to be students and residents involved in your care. They're always supervised by the attending physician that's experienced, but just developing that rapport, like where I work, most of my patients, they love the residents because they do that. They will round every single morning at the beginning of their shift, they will introduce themselves to the patients and they really build a rapport with the patients over time. Anyone that comes into your room, you can ask them, say, what is your role in my care team? And what is your name? They should really be doing that on their own. They shouldn't have to be prompted, but sadly, most of the time, they do have to be prompted in many places.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty, by the way, I'm pretty sure they were students. I don't think it was a resident because resident to me, a resident is a doctor. Like I don't look at it as like, It was like a class,
1: like literally it was like a bunch of them standing around the bed. That's another thing. Coming in with like a whole group of people, I've had people tell me they felt like a specimen. That was their feeling because just like this whole group of, I don't know, 10 people suddenly appeared in the room and again, in the most intimate moments of their life and to just watch them without asking any permission or anything that again is not appropriate one, maybe two students, and that's my policy. Most of my patients are very agreeable to having a student follow me along. And there are several steps that I take before I include the student in the care. I will ask the patient not in front of the student, again not to put the patient into this uncomfortable place where they may say yes and then later on they may feel violated and they really didn't want it but they felt uncomfortable so i ask them before the student comes into the room and you know i have the student introduce themselves and i always say my policy is as one student sometimes there will be some interesting birth and you know students want to see it and i always say absolutely not we're having one student that's going to be in there it's not going to be comfortable for the parents and usually we have a second baby nurse so a second student will go with that nurse but you know, it, it's not its not right. It's not respectful. It's really stealing the dignity of the patient to be just coming in with a large group of people.
0: Yeah. And you also, like, in that moment, you're not thinking, like, is this something I want? This, it's not, there's no actual thought process going on. It's like you're in, like, almost like a survival mode kind of place in your head.
1: Exactly. And then later on, when you process your birth and think about it, then you might have these feelings of being violated come through.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, the whole thing was definitely like bizarre. But also, I just got back from Israel and I was just so grateful also that I, it wasn't like, you know, like this chaotic hospital like the other one was. Um, and then obviously, recovery there is like, it's, it was like a hotel compared to what I had. And they kept the baby the whole time. A lactation consultant came in and they like check you 7,000 times to the point where you can't sleep, which is also <laughs> like, you know, it's annoying, but um, I guess better.
1: Friends, if you wear wigs, then you need to hear this. I found a hat fall called the Hustle Wig, which was created for busy moms, the long days at work, and everything in between. They make looking good and wearing a wig simple. Their hat fall wigs are lined with a breathable jersey fabric, no combs, no clips, and it is literally the most comfortable wig that I have ever worn. Their wigs are some of the most affordable wigs that you can get. They're made from 100% human hair. Now, Now get this, they offer free shipping and exchanges if you order online, as well as no restocking fee if returned. Plus, right now they have a special promotion going on called the Duo Try-On. Order any two wigs to try on in the comfort of your own home while only putting down a deposit for one. Use code TRYON at checkout. They also have lots of customizable options. Go to thehustlewig.com. That's T-H-E-H-U-S-T-L-E-W-I-G. You can also check out their Instagram, The Hustle Wig. And as usual, all of this info will be in my show notes.
0: I want to go back because I forgot to talk about the pelvic floor therapy that I did after my first delivery. Um, in Israel, they, they recommend that you go to pelvic floor therapy after you have a baby. And I went to this amazing pelvic floor therapist that I actually still see till today. I mean, not like today, today, but I'm saying I still, she's still involved in my life and she, she was absolutely incredible. I, I think I started when I was still pregnant and I can't remember. Cause like after I spoke to you last time, I'm like, was it after or middle? And I feel like it was still during my pregnancy, but I cannot be totally sure. Um, and she, she really, really helped me. She like really like put everything back together. Like I felt like strong again. And um, after my second birth, obviously not because in America, like no one suggested it. And I didn't, you know, no, I didn't think about it. Um, and then when I was pregnant with my, with my third, um, it was a, it was a little bit of a chaotic pregnancy. Um, at like 24, two or 24 weeks, it was Yom Kippur and I fasted and I started having contractions. And then like so many times from that time till I actually gave birth, I was in the hospital because I had contractions for like a minute, like a minute at a time for like every two minutes consistently. She actually waited until like the day before her due date to actually arrive, my youngest. And I, um, with this one, I actually, oh, my second one, I didn't feel contractions either until like I got to the hospital, I got my, the epidural, all you know all good but with this one i actually felt the contractions and i'm like oh my god that's what people feel when i talk about like you feel like your body is gonna like crack open like this is insane and <laughs> when I, I was like oh my god i remember like i couldn't even sit in the car on the way to the hospital like it's super close to the house and i was like my body wouldn't go into a sitting position because it was like just springing up like it was like it was crazy um they were also like, my contractions were very close together at that point. I went running like before I like ran in between like the contractions and I, I was probably like, you know, my body was like very much in it. Um, by the time I got to the hospital, they were like, like they went to registration. And I'm like, they looked like, I'm like, don't show me any papers. I was like a deranged psychopath woman. I was like, get me back there right now. And they were like, Oh my God. Yeah. And they took me back and, this is something else, and I was telling you about the epidural thing last time. So my epidural only worked on half my body. But here's what I forgot to tell you, that there was a nurse anesthesist student, is that how you say it? Not an anesthesiologist mm-hmm. student, like the nurse Right, one. nurse anesthetist, yep. Yeah, That student who came in, another student story, with the anesthesiologist, and he said, I'm watching everything he does. He does great, a great job and he did it and then i hear the doctor saying, no 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 pull it back out put it back in and then they they did it and then i'm like okay whatever just give me the medication and they left and they only worked on half my body so first they tried like upping the amount of the epidural so then i'm just completely completely numb on half my body like i can't even lift my legs i can't do anything and the other side of me feels like these searing contractions through me so it was like a bizarre situation because I couldn't get up and walk around and deal with the pain, but I also couldn't really, like, I couldn't move either. I was, like, numb, Um, and every time they would try to turn me to get the epidural to, like, move to the other side of my spine, the baby's heart rate would plummet, so I did not have a choice.
1: That is the worst kind of epidural not working category because if you're feeling the regular contractions of labor, your body's natural reaction is that it wants to move around to help alleviate the pain and it just works synergistically with you know what's going on to help expand your pelvis and allow your baby to move down if you um and and so here you don't have the ability to move around to give yourself that comfort. And you're literally feeling everything in your embed, which is just very counterintuitive to someone who's laboring unmedicated. And I also want to say, you told me last time that they didn't offer you something that people should know you can be offered to have the epidural reinserted. If something like that happens to you and the other interventions that you're applying, like, you know, turning is not working, upping the dose is not working, then you do always have the option of asking for the epidural to be reinserted. And now that you're telling me the story with the student, if at any point you're feeling like, um, you know, if the student tried once, for example, and didn't, wasn't successful, it's completely reasonable to say, okay you know you got your chance i'd like the attending experienced physician to please do it
0: yeah i didn't yeah it was totally not even like a thought and no one even no no one in the room even said that to me like hey you know maybe we should just have you have a new epidural put in you like this went on for like hours it it, it takes time and it's not convenient all right i guess so i guess so. um so when it came time to deliver and this happened also with my son they didn't wait for me to say like I feel like I'm ready to push. They were like, she's 10, and they're like, push. And um, thank God they were both both born pretty quickly. She came out in like one push, like literally one push. She was out. And she wasn't super small. She was like seven, six, I think. Um, And thank God, no tearing. But I remember that there was... um, I used to do body pump. It's like, you know, weightlifting. And I, there was a girl there that I knew from growing up and she was like pregnant with like her seventh or something. And she was like, I'm so inspired by you. She was like very early on in her pregnancy when I was at the end. And she's like, I think I'm going to do this till a day, I give birth. She's like, I just always assumed like you just couldn't, like, you just like you shouldn't be doing like strenuous exercise. And you know, with like, all my pregnancies, I like just like, you know, stayed on the couch a lot, I ate a lot and you know, how to work it off after and i'm like i'm like forget everything else i'm telling you you will have such a a good labor and delivery and recovery like i'm telling you will and i remember seeing her after and she's like it was like her seventh kid i think or eighth kid and she's like this was the best she ever had like it was the best delivery she ever had she she couldn't even like compare it you know she the amount of strength she had And even after she felt like her body was so strong.
1: Giving birth is a very physically strenuous job. And when you are fit and active, then you exercise your heart muscles. Your heart is just able to handle that extra blood volume that you have during pregnancy and is just able to regulate everything much better. So um, being physically fit is definitely very beneficial for pregnancy and everyone has to consult with their own provider to make sure it's safe for them. And, but we know for sure that you shouldn't be starting something new up, you know, during pregnancy, some intense new exercise, again, to start walking and building that up, that's fine. But don't start some kind of new intense program during pregnancy. And that's for everybody listening, you should know, you know, start getting fit before you even think about start getting pregnant, starting to get pregnant, or before you get pregnant, if you can when
0: I when I'm in the hospital, they they asked me if I was an athlete because my resting heart rate was so low, even with my contractions being so intense. And like it did, I wasn't exhausted like when i hear people talk about their birth stories and they when it came time to push they were so tired and they didn't have strength and they were like you know they were so out of breath and i didn't experience any of that like it just it was like this like amazing physical challenge that like like lifting something super heavy like i was excited to do it i was so excited to be able to like use all my strength to like perform this miracle of giving birth um and i also like I was tired obviously because I didn't sleep in the night, but like I my my body didn't feel like I ran a marathon. It didn't feel like that. But after my third, when that whole wonky epidural situation happened, I literally felt like I was hit by a truck the next day. Like my every single muscle hurt, but not in like a good way, not in like a you know, worked out hard way in like, in like getting hit by a truck, like every single thing hurt because I was clenching the whole time. And I was trying to deal with this intense pain again, didn't take any breathing classes, didn't take any birth classes, didn't know how to deal with the pain. Like I didn't have any tools to deal with it. And it was like, and then I also ended up with like, um, like a spinal headache a few days later also.
1: What a joy. What a wonderful epidural. No, I'm kidding. And I'm being (laughs) extremely sarcastic, but I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely fun. Um,
0: yeah. So after I gave birth to her, I remember I was at like my six week postpartum appointment with this doctor. And I said to him, like, you know, something doesn't look right. Like, I don't think I healed quite right. Something looks different. And he looks at me and he's like, Oh, you have a prolapse urethra. I'm like, okay. And And I'm like, well, I don't like it. It doesn't, it it looks really, it looks weird. And he's like, why do you care how it looks? And I'm like, why do I care? Cause it's, it's my body. And also when you have a prolapsed urethra, like you, your, your urinary incontinence is like, you know, like after you have a baby, like you sneeze and then you pee on yourself a little bit. It was like much worse than that. Like I am a runner. Like this was like, no matter how many kegels I did, like I could not fix this. And I switched doctors right away because that was a super obnoxious thing to say to me and he had no empathy and he was like weirded out by the fact that i didn't like it
1: that's a major red flag first of all the judgment like it's not up to him and even if he disagrees he can refer you out to somebody who may have a different approach and secondly it was literally impacting your quality of life so forget about what how appeared it was literally impacting your quality of life. And if a physician, if you can have a complaint to a physician and or you know a midwife, whoever it is that may be taking care of you, and their response is, well, live with it, that's life, that's part of being pregnant, that is wrong you have to discuss and you have to be emphatic with the fact that it, it's affecting my quality of life. And I would like to know what I can do to better my quality of life with whatever symptoms I'm feeling. So that is a red flag if they're not willing to work with you on that, even after you explain to them that it's affecting your quality of life.
0: Yeah yeah i left right away and i went to see this other doctor and she was so sweet and so empathetic and she right away gave me a referral to this amazing urogynecologist he was like supposed to be top in baltimore he was like really really good
1: and a urogynecologist i want to mention is somebody who first received OBGYN training and then went on further to receive, I think it's two or maybe three years of urogyne specific training where they do a lot of, they take care of urogynecology problems where the urological and the gynecological systems intersect. And um, they perform a lot of surgery. So it's a subspecialty of OBGYN. I'm not sure if it's also subspecialty of urology. Maybe that makes sense too. But definitely subspecialty of OBGYN. He was excellent. He had a whole practice.
0: He had a whole practice. And he he also I remember him being so like, modest like when he came into the room i thought he was like an a student a student or an assistant because he was so like most of the doctors that i've met like you know through different health things they've been like you know very egotistic and like you know aloof whatever it is he was so like sweet like so sweet he made me feel like i had all the time in the world and he basically said listen with this, you know, I told him about the pelvic floor therapy that I had done in the past. I said, should I do that? And he said, this is not going to fix it. This is not a muscular thing. This is like, there's something needs to be repaired. And he said, the only thing is, is that you, if we do the surgery and it's like, you know, it has high numbers of being effective. If you do have another birth, it will rip it out what we do. And then to fix it after it, it mostly can't be done. He's like, there's like less than a 30% chance that if you try to sew it again, that it's gonna hold. He's like, it's not gonna hold. So he's like, come to he's like, I know it's uncomfortable, but you know, come to you when you're finished having kids and we'll fix it. And I was 28 years old and I'm like, I'm not waiting 10 years. Like this is crazy. But I didn't have a choice. And like soon after I actually found out that I won't be able to have more kids due to another medical issue with my liver. And I was like, Oh, there's my little silver lining. Like I get to fix this problem. Like it really, it's going to sound weird, but it really softened the blow like this, like the, the way it affected my quality of life was, I guess, so great that the news that I can't have more kids when I was still in my 20s was like, well, but I can fix this now. And I was like, grateful for that.
1: Right. It was out of your control. It was a sign. You weren't going to have to second guess. This was your reality. And you took the positive out of it.
0: Yeah, I was like, actually really excited about this. I mean, like later on, later on, like when I had like time, like, I think it was like, it all happened very, very fast. And I had it during COVID and we made oh yeah, and I think like after, like I like I had, like the dust settled and I was like, oh, that's actually really sad. So we just got another puppy and then another puppy, yeah, we just kept getting puppies. And then that, 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 that seems to work for now. Um, but he did the surgery and it's actually like pretty quick, it's a pretty quick surgery. Um, and he actually, he didn't just do that. He actually, he said he was going to tighten all the muscle walls all the vaginal muscle walls while he was there he was gonna make it like almost like brand new and thank god it was like i mean the recovery was almost like having a baby i was in bed for like a week you're in like postpartum after the surgery but it completely fixed the problem
1: that's amazing and this is a great example of where you really rose to the occasion of advocating for yourself and if you you did pelvic floor therapy, um, and this was an issue that was beyond the scope of just having a pelvic floor therapist help you. And so you didn't stop at that. You went to a surgeon because pelvic floor therapy is helpful, but it's not necessarily going to fix every single pelvic floor issue. And so, you know, you you sought out further care and you had a doctor that was not supportive and you didn't leave it at that. You went further than that. So really good for you.
0: In the gym, we do a lot of like um, jump roping and box jumps and CrossFit. And every single woman I work out next to is always like runs to the bathroom, like twice during the, the workout because they're like, I'm paying all over myself. And I don't have that problem. Not, not 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 even the draft it's it's amazing
1: it's really helpful to first go to the low invasive the least invasive um method to see if you can heal something and that's why public floor pt's have been such a blessing and there you know the awareness about the benefits of using their services is emerging more and more now. But many OBGYNs will tell you that 10 years ago, they never even knew that something like that existed. And now I will speak to OBGYNs who told me that, wow, it's amazing the things that they can do. I've had patients who avoided surgery through seeing a pelvic floor PT. You had said that in Israel, the culture there is is to move toward that first. Whereas in the US, a lot of times the culture is, is all right, let's go straight to surgery. And again, I think that's because our healthcare system is much more splintered. And so Doctors have, you know, think in one medicalized version, and then the allied health professions think in a a different, more alternative way. And really, the two should be combined and used uh, together and in, in complement to each other. And you know, we also discussed and thought about maybe that's because the Israeli really healthcare system is socialized medicine, where in you know, a cost effective it's probably more cost effective to try some physical therapy before going on to surgery. I don't know if that's the answer or not. But it like you said, the culture in Israel is more inclined toward using these therapies before, you know, going to have medical procedures done.
0: Yeah, I see that with a lot of things. With a lot of things here. My daughter had like um constipation issues. I mean it was due to stress from making LA and COVID. But like I brought her to a public floor therapist and she helped that's mind-blowing yeah she helped her with her breathing and explain she took out a book and she explained to her she was five explained to her that if she doesn't take deep breaths and her diaphragm can't move my daughter knows these words now because she learned the body parts from reading this book with her and she did all these these core exercises and breathing exercises to teach her how to help her body work better and even that our pediatrician not every doctor's like this, but he happens to be always like, if there's something medical going on, he always asks what's going on in the life. Have you tried to see someone like a therapist, like very much like, let's not rush to medicate. Like what else can we do to help, to help, you know, with this situation? And I, I just, I I love that. I really love that.
1: I totally agree. Whatever's less invasive, you're less likely to experience side effects from. So why not try that way first? And reality is is sometimes there's more work involved and there's more effort involved. Like, you know, going to a physical therapist means that you also have to do follow up exercises that may take up your time versus, you know, just getting surgery is kind of like one and done, but the recovery is hard. There may be complications, etc. So we have to look at the bigger picture and really at the holistic way of treating conditions. We're coming to a close of our interview. I wanted to know if you would like to leave our audience with a, a message. If you have to be your own advocate. And
0: if something doesn't feel right, advocate for yourself ask questions you have rights you don't have to stick with doctors that that you don't feel comfortable with and stay healthy
1: thanks for tuning into the happy birthday podcast head over to your budget academy on instagram to continue the conversation you'll find the link in the episode show notes as well as links to any additional resources products and services mentioned here if you love listening to this show you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience.